This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing lesson number one: Don't pay for lessons. TD Ameritrade's education is free. Choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and more. Everything you need to take your trading to the next level. Visit tdameritrade.com/education. Member SIPC. It's Monday, March 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Jason Moser. It's one half of the old Monday crew. I know. I mean, it's you know, I think about that from time to time, and it's like those days back when. <laughs> well, thanks um, for being here. Well, Dave, listen, man, it's always a pleasure to be here with you, and and particularly in the wake of your school's loss uh, over the weekend. As much as I got out there and just screamed about it all season, I mean, you know, all good things do have to come to an end at some point. And I, I will say, I mean, as disappointing uh, as, as the game was, lost to Kentucky. I mean, I think what those boys proved time and time again this year is that Wofford was clearly a top twenty school, top twenty team. I think they were probably closer to like top ten, to be honest with you. They could play with anybody, and um, they they have nothing. To be ashamed oh, no. about, they can hold their heads high. That was the only word I could come up with was magical. It was a magical season, and I thank everybody involved with that program for giving us just just a wonderful, wonderful basketball season. Speaking of magic, we're going to talk about unicorns. Um, sure. We're, we're going to get to the Apple event. We're going to get <laughs> to the global war on cash, but we're going to start with unicorns. Uh, let's start with Uber, which is making headlines today. Uber is buying Kareem Networks, which is a ride-sharing business based in Dubai, for just over $3 billion. This is this is one of those things where it hasn't been finalized, but there are all kinds of reports out there. Uber's getting ready to go public in a few weeks, and they're just looking to uh, apparently <laughs> lock up as much of the global market as they can. Beef up before they got to get out there and really make everything public. Um, and, and I think it makes sense for for Uber to knock this out pre-IPO, so they can avoid. I mean, they, what they want to do is avoid some of the the skepticism or the questioning. Uh, they're really looking at things under a microscope that we would probably do more of if this deal were announced post IPO. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got Lyft getting ready to go public, Uber going to be shortly after. Really, this this market today is all about getting your network as big as it can possibly be, and then ultimately, I think down the road, figuring out all of the different ways that you can leverage that network because it's more than just ride sharing now. I mean, it's ride sharing. Obviously, there is food delivery. Um, there's going to be something in regard to package delivery. You have to believe that'll that'll become a bit more permanent. Um, self-driving cars are just down down the road here, apparently. So I, I think really it is getting out there, becoming as big and global as you can, and then figuring out all of the different ways you can leverage that big network. You mentioned Lyft, and Lyft is going public this Friday. Uh, they're looking. At... <laughs> the numbers are. Uh, staggering to me. Mm -hmm. Lyft is looking to go public at a range of $62 to $68 a share. They'll raise a couple billion dollars. I have no problem believing that they're going to be able to do this. Oh, yeah, no. Um, the valuation right out of the gate is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 to $25 billion. Yep. And I look at that and I wonder. How many individual investors are going to get in on that in a big way? Because for all of our talk, and we talk from time to time about, <laughs> look, stock splits don't matter. It's really how many slices of pizza do you want? Do you want eight or 16? The size of the pizza doesn't change. And I get all that. 
But I think the gut reaction for a lot of investors, and I'm including myself in this, is that initial price for whatever you think of the business to just think, particularly with an IPO right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be intentional, right? That they're saying, look, we only want people who are. Who are going to clear that hurdle? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they feel like the the optics are better with a sixty or sixty five dollar share price as opposed to like a five or a ten dollar share price. I mean, your your point is spot on, though. It is really the size of the piece of the matters. Um, and I mean, when you look at the size of these two companies, I mean, Lyft going in somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five billion dollar market cap. Uber talking about something like hundred and thirty billion dollars, or maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But either way, I mean. The the Uber question is: Has the low hanging fruit already been picked? I mean, like, how big can a company like that get in the near term? I'm not I'm not you know disputing its its potential there, but but you part of investing is is looking at that timeline and trying to figure out if that risk reward scenario makes sense. And these businesses are massively unprofitable, so I mean you have to take all of that in consideration. And um, yeah, I mean I I just I feel like they're not going to have any problem. Selling these shares, but I would I would strongly encourage individual investors like the ones that we're talking to every day, step back, take it with a grain of salt, look at the filings, get a better idea of the business that that supports these these valuations, because my bet is there is going to be a time somewhere in the near future where we'll be able to get these shares for a lot cheaper. Then they go for in these IPOs. Well, and think back to last week when we were talking about Levi Strauss going public, yeah. and that was something that the range for Levi going public was like fourteen, sixteen dollars a share, that sort of thing. It it was up thirty percent the opening day. It's you know, and and part of the story that we saw was an increased demand on Wall Street for this. Uh, yeah. Type of IPO, and that's and they're just selling jeans. <laughs> and so, to you know, to sort of dovetail with what you were saying, it look, it's exciting, it's interesting, but one thing we have to remind ourselves of is what's happening on Wall Street with these financing events, and that's what these are. These are financing events, is different than what is happening for us as individual investors. And there are fewer public companies today than there were. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and so part of the demand that we're seeing, not just for <laughs> Levi Strauss selling <laughs> jeans, but for Lyft and Uber, you know, Lyft going public north of sixty dollars a share. Part of it is just look, there's there's increased demand on Wall Street, and that's hard for us to separate as individual investors, but we kind of have to do that. Well, that's our job, right? That's why we exist, and that's why we're. Talking to the audience that chooses to listen to us, and I mean, I think back to what we were talking about on Molly Full Money over over uh, last Friday, and I mean, I think Emily really hit on a great point there, and that it just seemed like there were some very lofty expectations baked into that Levi's IPO, and it and it strikes me that probably Wall Street's just really hungry for IPOs. It doesn't matter the company behind it. They just want some new action. Because, I mean, they're playing a little bit of a different game. They, the banks that are underwriting all of these IPOs, they're making money doing that. I mean, that's business for them. For us, we have nothing to do with that. I mean, our, our, the game that we're playing is finding good businesses and investing in them. And so, yeah, you look at something like, like Levi's and you think, man, that just doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. So, you have to sort of take that Mania 
and and understand why it exists and see if you can't make that your edge. When it comes to Lyft and Uber, that mania still exists. I would argue they're better market opportunities than than you know jeans. I think that Lyft and, and, and Uber stand to do very and by well. By the way, we're not knocking I'm the jeans. I'm not knocking jeans. I'm wearing Levi's right now as we speak. The Chris. jeans are fine. <laughs> They're great. I love them. You know, I mean that's that's beside the point. Uh, but but yeah, I mean again, I, I think Wall Street's looking for IPOs. Period. Um, we enjoy IPOs because we get to talk about them, but really, it does all boil down to the fundamental businesses that that support those those uh, those IPOs. And again, I mean, I think with Lyft and with Uber, two companies I'm very interested in learning more about, and I, and I could see wanting to own them. But man, oh man, at these valuations, given the state of their financials today. I mean, I I don't want to say I'm going to bet my life on it, but I'm pretty darn close, Chris. I am pretty certain that we will be able to get those those shares significantly cheaper at some point here over the next couple of years. Real quick, one more unicorn. Uh, Pinterest yeah. is going public in a few weeks. They uh, dropped their S1, I think, on fr- uh, Friday of last week. Uh, help me understand this. <laughs> what, what is, you seem more skeptical well, of this one. I, it, so it's an ad business, right? I mean, yeah. they they took in about seven hundred fifty million dollars in revenue last year. It looks like the bulk of that is brands sort of promoting their brands. You know, paying Pinterest to promote their brands on the platform. Um, and look, yes, I'm skeptical. Pinterest appears to be closer to profitability than Uber and Lyft. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that was probably the pleasant surprise from this S1 is is getting a better understanding of the of the underlying business, and it's it's actually not a bad one. And maybe that's because they've been around for a little while and they've waited to this point where the business was a bit more mature and established, so they're not throwing out those brand new startup type financials. But I think where Pinterest is really Executed over the course of time, they know their audience. I mean, I think there's a business there; it's growing. They know their audience, and they understand why the audience uses the platform for the most part. And and when I when I say that, I mean it is a platform that seems to work a little bit better from the commerce angle. I mean, it's an ad business today, but but there's also plenty of data out there that supports the notion that consumers are much more likely to use Pinterest to shop for products than any other channel, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever. And so, from that perspective, I can see why certain brands would want to be affiliated with Pinterest on an ongoing basis. And, and I mean, it's really interesting also to take note here. Ninety-seven percent of the top one thousand most popular searches on Pinterest are unbranded. In other words, someone's going in there and saying, "I want to find a pair of blue jeans." They're not saying Levi's blue jeans. Uh, so it, it, that I think also opens it up for particular brands out there to want to pay for their product placement a little bit more uh, because they know their audience. Um, I, I never really had used Pinterest before. Now I say had. My dad, you know, my my dad and I like to paint watercolors. And he showed me uh, he uses Pinterest all the time. This is a 76-year-old doctor. <laughs> he uses Pinterest all the time to look up different artists and all of the paintings that they do to just see their paintings, to learn new things, figure out trying new 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 ways to paint and whatnot. And and I found actually Pinterest to be a very useful tool from that regard. So I, I've used it more lately than I ever thought I probably would, which you know makes me maybe a little bit more interested in the business. But having gone through the actual business itself, 
I'm going to keep digging. I think there probably is something there. Uh, got an email from Nod Muller in Namibia. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Motley Fool Money. Um, he writes, I really enjoyed listening to Joe Mager on Motley Fool Money. He mentioned Afterpay and the strides they're making in the United States. I also believe we'll be hearing more about these sort of disintermediated payments, but the mentions on conference calls will be Klarna and not Afterpay. I was completely unfamiliar with Klarna. I don't know if if you were familiar with them, no, but um, she included a link. Um, this is a payments business based in Sweden, and one of the things they have on their site is sort of a side by side comparison of. Klarna and Afterpay, yeah. and um, best I could tell, Klarna is not public yet. No, uh, but if the business is that strong, they they've got some investors. I believe Sequoia Capital is one of them. One of them. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't. I don't want to put words in anyone's <laughs> mouth, but it wouldn't surprise me if Klarna was public in a year or two. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I, I had not heard of this business until now. I mean, I know of the concept. I mean, with Joe talking about Afterpay and. Um, and Square is is getting into that line of work with their installments product as well. Uh, so did a little bit of digging into Klarna, founded in 2005 in Stockholm, Sweden, now headquartered out of Columbus, Ohio, of all places, birthplace of Jack Nicholas, huh? Four. Um, <laughs> listen, I mean the idea back in 2005. I think see that's the difference between you and me. You went straight to golf, and I just right. thought, wait, you're like who? Were there people <laughs> living and working in Stockholm who then got the news? Hey, guess what? Uh, you got to move to Columbus, Ohio. Jacks, Jacks, he's the golden bear, and no, he's globally fair. known. You know, um, I mean, they, they, the business was founded back in 2005 as technology was really just kind of taking off. So it's had a chance to evolve as technology has evolved. Um, total in customers, 60 million countries. They're in 14 countries. Total number of merchants using the platform, 100,000. Number of transactions per day, 800,000. I mean, that's not insignificant, right? And so the basic idea is giving customers a chance to pay in installments. You go see something that you like, it's 500 bucks, maybe you don't have all of that on you at once. Companies like Klarna are giving you the opportunity to buy that product and pay for it in installments. Typically predictable, interest-free type deals that are really just aimed at giving their merchant customers a better opportunity to sell more stuff and consumers a better opportunity to pay for them in a little bit more of a reasonable way. Um, so I, I do like that feature. I really do. Um, I tell you who else likes it, Visa, because Visa is invested in Klarna as well. Um, again, go back to uh, other businesses that are doing this. Square definitely uh, doing this. They had mentioned their installment business in the most recent call. I thought this was pretty fascinating in the third quarter. And this is a brand new product for Square, by the way. They, they still consider themselves very much in the test and learn phase here. They saw 10 million transactions through installments on Square that were greater than $250. And so you think about the dollar volume that that's helping their merchants flow through their networks, giving consumers a little bit, you know, of, of a of a easier of an easier way to buy things. Um, and the nice thing about these types of companies, they are founded on technology. They're using that technology to make wise decisions. Um, so it does seem like a win-win for consumers and for merchants. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Klarna continue to do well. Well, and you know, Afterpay. It's a public company. I think the market cap's around four and a half billion. It'll be interesting to see, particularly with Visa as one of the investors, if yeah. 
Klarna ends up going public, or if you know, in the same way that you know, PayPal snapped up Zoom, that you know, Visa decides to make a Godfather offer to Klarna and just bring them completely in. And based on these numbers, that wouldn't shock me at all. We've talked about how Mastercard and Visa are trying to figure out every little way they can add a little incremental value to their networks because they're so big now. I mean, they're kind of like Buffett in that they're having a hard time finding the meaningful acquisition, but you can still win by making a lot of good small acquisitions. And while Klarna might be a small one, it would plug into a very big network with Visa. So, it wouldn't shock me at all to see that happen. Quick shout out to TD Ameritrade, sponsor of today's episode. When it comes to investing education, one size does not fit all because everyone's different, whether you're just starting out or you're an elite trader. And we've got both ends of the spectrum listening to this <laughs> podcast. TD Ameritrade's education gives you what you need to learn on your own terms. You can choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and in-person events. You'll even have access to education coaches. Everything you need to take your knowledge to the next level. And you can start today by going to tdameritrade.com slash education. That's tdameritrade.com slash education member SIPC. So, in about an hour from now, Apple's going to have their event, uh, making this the, uh, I don't know, the 20th event in a row that Apple has had that uh, they did not extend an invitation to us. That's fine. We're not bidding. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, what, what are you expecting or what are you going to be watching for? Because I know what I'm going to be watching for. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, and I mean, this comes from a person I like Apple, I have an iPhone. I, I, been using an iPhone for many years, and I think I'll probably use one until you know I'm gone. But I am very prepared to be extremely underwhelmed <laughs> by this event today. And and I and I'm really not saying that to be rude or critical, because primarily it seems like this event is going to be focused around a TV offering. And when I think about that, and I think about ways that they might be able to get in there and change up the TV space at this point, or disrupt the TV space, it's very difficult for me to understand what the value proposition they can offer could possibly be. I mean, if you're talking about original programming, who cares? I mean, like you got so many, so many companies out there doing that now that are good at it. And I mean, Apple is just getting started with this. Just because they're Apple and they have money doesn't mean it's going to be good, right? It's like Netflix. Just because they have all that data doesn't mean they can automatically just make good content. I mean, good content is difficult to make. That's what makes it special. Uh, So you can spend all you want. They're projected to hit four billion dollars in content spend by 2022. You know what I call that? I call that a Start because when you're going up against Netflix and Amazon, for one, I mean, those companies are spending a lot more already today. By 2022, that will have compounded significantly. And I just don't see. I don't see money being the the only hurdle when it comes to content. Whether they're bundling or unbundling, I don't know what they think they can offer that that isn't already out there today. Um, remember, they they did have a TV app a while back too, and it was something where they thought you could just have all of your stuff in one place. And I appreciate that, but you know what? I mean, all you have to do is just. Open. You start a button on your iPhone, and you can put all of your streaming apps into that one button, and so you've got all your things in one place. So, I mean, that's kind of already done. So, I just don't understand what the value proposition is that they're going to offer here. That said, I think that they need to do something because if they're going to be more and more a service business, 
then they have to come up with ways to give people something beyond just the iPhone. And, and, and I think that between streaming video and music and the potential revamp to this news service, which, I mean, you know, I think everybody has their own way of getting their news, and some people use Apple News, and most people probably won't. Um, they're going to, whereas the iPhone has given them a lot of money from one product, they're going to have to figure out a way to get a little bit of money from a lot of different offerings now between the services side of the business and these other little you know hardware contributors like AirPods and the watch and whatnot. I've seen some reports around gaming, and yeah. it'll be interesting oh, to see that up. if if they go something in that direction. I mean, to your point on the content, I, that's that's the thing I'm going to be watching specifically to see if we get some specific names above and beyond just sort of the amount that they're spending because we you know we've seen varying reports on that, but. I, I think it would be noteworthy if they had if Tim Cook brings out some high profile sh- whether it's high profile showrunners or it is an announcement about intellectual property it's we've bought the rights to blank yeah. you know whatever that is and it's you know in that sense it's uh, it's not nearly the same but it is at least I would argue in the ballpark as years ago, uh, when Hasbro uh, made the deal with Disney, basically outbid Mattel mm-hmm. for the Disney properties, and it's like, well, you know, there's there's only one toy company going to get that <laughs> that deal, and Hasbro went big for it. And in the same way, Apple has the ability to lock up some some high profile IP, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's probably what they could. That would give them the best bang for their buck if they did lock up some IP that's already somewhat proven. Trying to develop your own and then get a life behind it really takes a lot of time and money and it's and it's still no given that you'd be able to pull it off. I'm I'm glad you brought up the the gaming part because you know, I mean, to put everything in context here, I mean, Google just came out with that big announcement regarding Stadia and its streaming gaming service. So I look at something like this, and I'm not saying short one stock and go long the other, but in our parlance, I'm saying I am long Google Stadia and short Apple video streaming. I would be much, I'm much more excited about the potential with Google's gaming service than I probably will ever be regarding Apple's TV service. I just don't. Unless they just wow me, and that's totally possible. I'm not saying they can't. I just don't think they will. <laughs> Real quick, what's coming on uh, today's episode of Industry Focus? You know, today is going to be pretty awesome because last week I had the chance to interview Sally Krawcheck, and I know a lot of people out there have heard the name. Uh, she's had a tremendous career on Wall Street. She is now uh, helping uh, lead Elevest and the Elevate Network uh, to new heights here. Really, and it's advocating for women in the workplace, women investing, really just more equality all the way around because uh, that's that's really the whole point of it all anyway. So, great interview with her. It'll be about 30 minutes, but uh, I, I think it's one that everybody will really enjoy. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.